Chapter 18 of Old Friends and New Fancies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Old Friends and New Fancies An Imaginary Sequel to the Novels of Jane Austen by Sybil G. Brinton. Chapter 18 All went well. The dinner came to an end, the actors retired to dress, and the six members of the audience disposed themselves in armchairs in front of the curtain, and prepared to be mystified. The performance commenced after no longer delay than is usual on occasions of this kind, and opened with a duel scene, in which Bingley and Tom Bertrand aimed pistols at one another in a most realistic manner, but failed to kill each other owing to one weapon missing fire, and the ball of the other not penetrating a vital part. Two of the ladies rushed in and made demonstrations of relief on finding the wounded hero able to walk off the field. The next scene represented a card room with a party of players, and Bingley as the inveterate gambler, staking higher and higher, until all was lost on turning up of a fatal four of hearts. Next was seen William Price as Richard I in prison, aroused from despair at the sound of Blondell's harp, and the vision at the barred window of the minstrel, impersonated by Miss Bingley, cloaked and hooded and playing on a zither. The whole word gave a fine opportunity to Tom Burton to exhibit his comedy powers in the part of a gentleman whose pocket is picked of a purse of money, his lamentations to his family, his efforts to recover it, and the final restoration of the purse, by then totally empty. Much laughter and applause followed this conclusion, and though the word misfortune was presently discovered by the audience without any further help, they were delighted with the spirited and vigorous quality of the acting, which had conveyed so much to them in dumb show, not a word being spoken on the stage. Darcy's only adverse criticism was that so far there had not been enough for the ladies to do. But this defect was remedied in the next word, which consisted of only three scenes. In the first, Miss Bingley made a very tolerable Lady Macbeth, striving to cleanse her hands of blood while she walks in her sleep, and is observed by her gentlewoman and doctor. The second showed Joan of Arc, in the person of Kitty, led to the stake, while the others grouped themselves round and endeavoured to look as numerous as possible, in the parts of judges, soldiers, and executioners. Poor Kitty's slight figure and insignificant presence made it difficult for the character to be well realised in her, and Mr. Bertram's frown as he looked at her was not an amused one for he had originally cast Miss Darcy for the part, and had expostulated vehemently when she had insisted on yielding to the broadly hinted-at wishes of her friend. Finally, Mrs. Bingley, as Cleopatra, looked exceedingly handsome in a robe as Egyptian as could be made on short notice, and received the asp from a basket held by Georgina, while Miss Bingley represented her other handmaid. This word was not so easily guessed as the other, and Darcy and Fitzwilliam were the first to arrive at it, while Elizabeth had to attend to the panegyrics of Mrs. Jennings and the more quietly expressed admiration of Mr. and Mrs. Ferrers. The former had indeed forgotten that there was anything to guess, so enchanted was she with the whole proceedings, so convinced that Miss Bennet and Miss Darcy were two of the most beautiful and gifted beings who had ever appeared on any stage, and it was only by making really meritorious effort at self-control that she refrained from descanting on the good fortune of the two young men whom she supposed to be their respective admirers. 
she was still talking eagerly about the dresses and the snake and the pile of wood that looked so terribly real and mr bertram's being so clever and funny when he pretended to be angry when the curtain rose on a new scene and the spectators found themselves in another period of the past miss bingley an unmistakable queen elizabeth graciously received a folio from shakespeare handed a ring to essex and on departing stepped on a cloak laid down for her by raleigh in spite of this astonishing disregard for chronology the scene was greatly enjoyed as was also the next which with the aid of a great deal of imagination represented the deck of a ship here william price had the leading part he received a party of ladies on board showed them all round the vessel in such a lively manner that the deficiencies in the setting of the stage were hardly observed gave orders to his sailors and finally took an affectionate farewell of his friends with much waving of handkerchiefs as the ship was supposed to sail away and kitty wept real tears of nervousness and excitement the audience had had time to put the first and second syllables together while the ship was being cleared away and they were in a measure prepared for the subject of the last scene which reflected great credit on the stage manager it was a very pretty adaptation of the taming of the shrew and showed the young girls in the characters of bianca and katharina kitty of course taking that of her namesake in an episode of her stormy wooing by pertuccio while georgina as bianca submitted to a gentler form of love-making over a music lesson the curtain was lowered for a moment before the sequel was given wherein the two husbands enacted by tom bertram and william price wager of their wives obedience and the conduct of the sisters proved how far marriage had altered them to mrs jennings extreme delight the part of Petruchio was taken by william price and this seemed to her to settle the whole matter finally a view which was confirmed when she heard the word courtship passed from one to another of her companions what do you think of that now my dear she whispered loudly into the ear of mrs ferrars what have i been telling you all along nothing could be clearer a very pretty way of showing their friends i say courtship you see my dear <laughs> very pretty indeed no no trust me i shall not say a word until i am told i know better than that and the other one too it all points the same way does it not well i declare i have not seen anything to please me so much this long time the actors presently reappeared when they had resumed ordinary dress all a good deal fatigued but in high spirits and much gratified by the unstinted congratulations of their friends mrs bingley and miss darcy indeed shrank from praise for to georgina it had all been rather an ordeal when the time came and she had been conscious of doing her part stiffly and without natural ease and jane declared she had not acted at all for she would not have known how to do it she had simply stood about under mr bertram's directions and worn the clothes that had been contrived for her but the others were not so diffident for bingley and william price had enjoyed the whole thing heartily and appreciated the joke of throwing themselves into an imaginary character kitty had enjoyed the acting and the applause the pleasure of being with william price had been quite intoxicating and not being altogether without aptitude she had really acquitted herself with some spirit particularly in the scenes from the taming of the shrew but it was to miss bingley and mr bertram in their own estimation that the honours of the evening belonged they received all compliments with the utmost complacency and caroline was heard explaining to mr ferrars and colonel fitzwilliam as they all moved towards the dining-room for supper that she had modelled her conception of lady macbeth on that of mrs siddons which she had seen so frequently and studied so closely as to be quite at home in the portrayal of it 
the lady might perhaps have selected other listeners had she known the associations which one of them had had with that play it does you great credit miss bingley said darcy who had been listening to her it has been an evening of surprises has it not elizabeth i could not have believed that there was so much hidden talent among us which would never have been unburied but for the happy idea of these charades it is always so i can assure you mr darcy said tom bertram once you decide to act you can always discover talent in any collection of people ample for your needs of course one or two will always stand out by reason of greater ability but you must know how to select your players so that every one has a part worthy of him i am afraid some of us had parts we were not worthy of to-night cried william i never felt such a fool as when i was playing Petruchio, and nothing but kindness of miss bennett could have pulled me through it needs a fellow about six feet high i always said you ought to have done it yourself tom my dear william we have been through all this before you know i should have liked nothing better but i decided after due consideration that i could not do justice to the principal part when i had to be directing the full company all on stage at once you hardly realize my responsibility but rest assured you did not do it so badly i think you managed most wonderfully mr bertram said mrs ferrars to have to arrange the scenes drill the other performers and appear in every scene yourself it was a task few people could have undertaken mr bertram bowed as if there were a foregone conclusion mr bertram has had a good deal of experience in private theatricals said georgina i have indeed said that gentleman few men in england have had more i should say and anyone who is known to be fairly well up in these things is naturally in request whatever they are going forward and i have been lucky too in my companies i do not think i have ever known a real failure except perhaps once mrs ferrer's attention was just then called off and he turned to georgina did i ever tell you miss darcy about that one time when we attempted to do a little acting at my father's house at mansfield park no i do not think you did well it is a long story it might not wholly interest you thank you yes some cold chicken but the substance of it was that we had decided to act a play amongst ourselves you know a pleasant party divided among two households as this might be just the very people for acting free to rehearse it is true my brother had made some difficulties but all was going smoothly and our friends seemed to be then all one could wish for i am not sure that miss crawford had much idea of acting but still she might have improved miss crawford exclaimed georgina and involuntarily glanced round to make sure that colonel fitzwilliam had not overheard her seeing him occupied in talking to william price she continued in a lower tone i did not know that you knew miss crawford and i am so interested have you heard anything of her lately mr bertram could hardly believe his ears he looked at miss darcy in the greatest astonishment certainly i know or used to know miss crawford but naturally i have not heard anything of her for several years georgina was puzzled by his manner and felt that in some strange way she had made a mistake so after a moment's pause she said it was stupid of me not to recollect that you must be acquainted with miss crawford too as i was already aware that mr price was i suppose it was at the same time you were speaking of at your father's house that he met her 
Mr. Bertram had, by this time, partly recovered from the shock of finding there was anyone else who did not know of the Rush Crawford case, and said, I beg your pardon, Miss Darcy, but your question was a surprise to me. No, I have quite lost sight of Miss Crawford, and I dare say you know more of her now than I do. You are a friend of hers, I assume. No, returned Georgina, beginning to regret having pursued the subject. I have only met her once, for a few minutes, but my brother and sister knew her fairly well in Bath. In Bath? Ah, yes, I heard that they had settled there. Georgina now wished nothing better than to find a new topic, or a new companion, without delay, but Mr. Bertram, having rapidly disposed of his cold chicken, began again. You must not mistake me, Miss Darcy. I should be very glad to hear good news of Miss Crawford once more. It is a long time since our families held any intercourse, for, without going into details, her brother behaved like, indeed is, an intolerable scoundrel. But as to his sister, she had nothing to do with that. She enjoyed amusing herself, I fancy, as much as most people do, but there was really no harm in it, as events proved. We all thought her a very bright, pretty, accomplished girl. But one thing followed another, and, of course, people are bound to hold by their relations, are they not? Yes, indeed, assented Georgina warmly, who had listened with the deepest interest to this recital, which, fragmentary though it was, seemed to agree with that strange rumor which Lady Catherine had written about from Bath. She pondered over it, and though reluctant to be indebted to Mr. Bertram for further information, she could not help wanting to have her own opinion once more confirmed. I am glad to hear you say that, Mr. Bertram. I thought Miss Crawford charming, and heard the same from everyone who met her. But I think she may have been misjudged, blamed perhaps, some time or other, for the faults of those who belonged to her. Quite true, Miss Darcy. I have no doubt you have hit upon the secret. Indeed, my brother-in-law, Yates, used to say much the same. She was certainly a very handsome girl, and it was a thousand pities she never had the chance to play Amelia. I did not finish telling you about our play. The parts were all cast, the stage was prepared, the rehearsals in full progress. Yates was, after myself, the leading spirit. I think you said you had met my friend Yates, Miss Darcy. He was fairly started, and Georgina had time to grow weary of the history of Lover's Vows, and its ultimate conclusion, before the announcement was made of Mr. and Mrs. Ferrer's carriage, which broke up the party. Everyone moved towards the hall, and cloaks were fetched while Mrs. Jennings loudly uttered her good nights, interspersed with many complimentary remarks to the actors. William Price had hurried back to the room they had called the green room to search for a cherished ornament of kitties, which she had mislaid. So he escaped from congratulations to which, in his case, Mrs. Jennings would have given a double edge and Kitty contrived to avert her share by murmuring as she embraced her guest, I shall come and see you tomorrow. Nevertheless, Mrs. Jennings was not to be entirely balked of her intention, and the long conversation between Mr. Bertram and Miss Darcy had attracted her notice. So in wishing Tom Bertram good night, she managed to add a few words, felicitating him upon his success in another field besides that of the drama. Laughing heartily at his look of blank astonishment, she passed on, and as she never felt quite as well able to approach Miss Darcy on these subjects as other people, she contented herself with a sly glance, remarking, Well, Miss Darcy, and what a delightful evening it has been. We have not heard the last of these charades yet for many a long day, have we?
why all the pleasantest part of them is still to come i fancy georgina succeeded in avoiding a reply she supposed the allusion was to kitty but she always preferred not to understand mrs jennings whenever possible the visitors directly afterwards went away and the ladies retired the gentlemen sitting up for some time longer End of chapter 18 Recording by Todd